0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour and we are discussing Everyone on This Train is a Suspect by Benjamin Stevenson, chapters 12 to 27. We're once again joined by Kate Evans from ABC Radio National's The Bookshelf... Kate, it's wonderful to have you back.
1: It's very nice to be here, even though I've been so rude about this book. (laughs) Um, I do like to think of myself as a generous reader, so I promise I will concentrate on the things that I liked as well.
0: This stretch of chapters really kicks off a bit silly with... Alan and Ern, The best character. Goodness uh, me.
2: Yeah, Alan Rose is a really early fun character. He, you know, pins the the cause of death and he does a lot of really helpful stuff, but he also kind of throws Ern under the bus when it comes to the most important... Train. Part. <laughs> the train bus, as they call it.
0: We're definitely starting to elevate characters like Douglas, Harriet, and Jasper and Brooke mm. kind of into the main cast. You know, the 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 pitch of the book is that we have these five riders on the train... And one will... Leave in handcuffs. One will leave in handcuffs yeah, and another will die. Well, yeah. And it's it's starting to become clear that that's not just down to the main panelists mm-hmm. anymore.
2: Yeah, it's cool. I really enjoy how this stretch of, of chapters, like, even Aaron, the the journey director, who he has this little speech in the first part part of the story, comes in, in part two, to chauffeur us around the crime scene. We also have this absolute corker of a Dane Almont or whatever <laughs> it was. Room.
0: Oh, goodness, where Alan Royce decides that he's going to up and try beat Ern to the the scoop on this story by being the detective. It's absolutely
2: miserable because he, he literally says, it can't be anyone else but this this suspect. It can't be anybody else but Wyatt. Guess... Whose corpse is found, not a paragraph later.
0: Yeah. And of course, we, we end this stretch of chapters with Ernest jumping off the train and yes. running
2: after a shadowy figure in a distant car. Into the unknown, possibly after the killer themselves, We'll have to find out.
0: In, in Coober Pedy, too, which if yeah. you're familiar with
2: Coober Pedy, is a
0: famously bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous place. Lots of holes you could fall into out there. Oh, so yes. The, the and
2: opal, the opal mines.
0: <laughs> when we get into this stretch of chapters, herds, when we Uh-oh. spoke to Ben Stevenson at Mm. Bad Sydney. You mentioned that in this stretch of chapters is the most heartbreaking emotional moment in the book. We're
2: going to leap into that? Absolutely. (laughs) In the first part, in last week's episode, we talked about some horribly traumatic things and how, you know... Ern sets himself up for failure, so the, the weight behind the moment is already in place. There's a line in the book where Ern says during the 11, chapter 11.5 that only an idiot would suspect Juliet of committing the murder. And so, of course, what me. does he Kate do? Kate wrote the book is what I'm trying to say. Co wrote <laughs> the book. But, yeah, we have the most horrendous chapter where Urn... He, on a, on a poke from his villainous publisher, tries to propose to Juliet, but he ends up, rather than proposing properly, saying, you had opportunity and motive. You were trying to help me write a murder book. And she says, you're an idiot. And he says, oh... <laughs>
1: Well, but you're forgetting the other terrible thing he did before that. Ah, yes? Which one? Which is those types of public proposals. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is true. Which are just the oh, worst goodness. ambushes. it would be
2: great in the book, wouldn't it? It'd sell really well. I.
1: Yeah, but, you know, they're so <laughs> problematic.
0: Listen, I think Juliet should have murdered
2: Ern for
1: doing
0: all of
2: that. <laughs> That's going to be the third book, clearly. (laughs) Assuming he survives.
1: But the other thing that she does that's great is that, you know, he ambushes her and says these terrible things, but she didn't (laughs) in any way feel pressured to go, why, yes, I will accept this ring and act as if everything's okay. Although she sort of did, didn't she? I mean, people watching may not have known how annoyed she was. But
2: she does call him incredibly sexist. Yes. She says this is sexist nonsense. But
1: the other interesting thing about her, given that we know that she has herself written a book, when he goes to do the other thing that happens all the time in crime fiction, which is people deciding to be very brave and bold investigators of crime. I mean, how terrifying would that actually be? Amateurs do that in crime fiction all the time. And when he suggests that he might have some actual skills to solve this crime, she basically is saying, you idiot. No, you don't. And there's something sort of refreshing about a character in a novel going, no, you can't solve this.
0: Well, absolutely, and especially because we then pair Earn up with Alan Royce in, in the aftermath of that scene where they go and they are bumbling amateurs the investigating the scene.
1: Do you want to describe him?
0: Alan Royce is a forensic pathologist, allegedly, who... Has been writing a bunch of forensic thrillers following, you know, a series of rejections and eventually getting signed with Gemini Publishing, which is the same publisher as Henry McTavish. He is a bit of a narcissist.
2: Let me be very clear here. His first proper scene in this stretch of chapters is that Ern comes to Alan and says, Hey, let's team up. Let's like solve this crime together. And Alan says, Excellent. The interrogation begins now. And Ern's like, What are you talking about? Alan says, I've caught you. You did the murder, right, Ern? I've, you're literally coming here to confess aren't you like he's he's also trying to be the detective of this story and he also lacks the skills that earn lacks but he's so quick to to act when he doesn't have, any of the information. It's it's ludicrous. And
0: he's also a very, like, understated sleazeball. Maybe understated is the wrong word. He's a sleazeball. (laughs) Every time (laughs) there's any opportunity to throw women under the bus in his theories, he takes it. Or train. I should really keep saying train. Well,
2: this is the thing, and I'm going to tie this back into the conversation about Juliet, because he plants that idea. He says, you know, it's often... It's it's the person who is trying to help you to write that is probably the killer. So he's not just a sleazeball; he's a he's a bad influence. Yes, he is
1: also, and this was something I should have said. You know in our first week when we were talking about the setup of the book, he's also somebody who had been or claims to have been a forensic pathologist. And what he always says when people ask about his writing is that, you know, I prefer to think that I write novels about society, depravity and humanity, and the crime itself is just the engine for... I've heard crime writers, and particularly, or rather including those with this sort of background, pretty much say that you. So many times.
2: Yes. I mean, you want him to be a villain, right? You want him to get yes. his comeuppance, whether or not he is the murderer, which I think is a fun trick that Stevenson is playing here. And not not to tip our hand too much here, or, or Stevenson's hand, but I think all of the authors have a distinct approach to Ernst writing. I think that, for example, Wolfgang says, I reckon you made it all up. I'm about 90% certain. And that ties into what Wolfgang is up to, the, the way that they approach Ernst's writing reveals the way that they write their own books and the way that they like approach their own art. I guess. And
1: this is Wolfgang being the, the self-conscious literary writer yes, yes. who has all sorts of, um, you know, literary death of the author type installations going on and a very high self-regard.
2: Death of literature. which is a great name. Good thing we stole it. Uh, I honestly really
0: like the Death of Literature subplot in this story because it is in sort of the cartoony way that is lacking from the characters in this story, a little too perfectly tied in with everything else that's going on. You know, an author dies while he's got this interactive installation in the works. Wolfgang, despite clearly being, I think, the most openly B-plotty of the other authors, really
2: has everything just mesh too well with the A-plot? He's supposed to be the literary writer. Like, he talks to Ern about how Edgar Allan Poe, you know, wasn't understood during his time, and he feels the same way, right? He feels like his work is underappreciated.
1: Every single writer. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> and particularly when people are reaching towards their deadline and missing their deadline. I mean that that is something that comes through the whole book. Okay. is that everybody's insecurities. Shut to earn.
0: Yeah, exactly. One of one of Earn's concerns is that he basically made a killing off
1: uh, two <laughs> puns in
2: one sentence what is this <laughs>
0: of uh. a terrible tragedy that happened to his family and now here he is on this luxury train ride getting an
1: advance that very few writers in Australia would get. Mm. And everybody seems to know the size of his advance for this book. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's
2: pretty good. He's also not even supposed to be the person on the train, or at least not the person on the panels. Juliet was the person, his, his girlfriend is the person who was invited on. And she said, oh, well, I reckon my boyfriend deserves a win. Why don't you invite him on
1: instead? Well, he's pretty crushed when he realises that. Yeah, he isn't is. He? Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, that's one of his own oh. long, dark nights of the soul to go, oh, I missed that.
2: And I guess that's what I find interesting about, especially the way that you've approached this book, Kate, is finding it insufferable and annoying and it's pointing <laughs> everything out. But in in my experience, all of those things are there to set up the fact that Earn just sucks and his life kind of sucks and like this, this journey that he goes on where he feels high and mighty – and then he gets these horrible, crushing realizations. They Look, I'm feeling
1: that more and more sympathetic to him as I'm speaking to the I'm two of I'm glad.
2: Here. That's how I feel about Earn, uh, but not Alan. We can't be sympathetic towards Alan. Oh, no, no. But Earn, right, we understand that even though he is all the things that we've talked about, he is... Ernest. Got him. Oh. Uh, <laughs> ah, it's safe for today. No, it's not.
0: <laughs> but yeah. We are talking Benjamin Stevenson's. Everyone on this Train is a Suspect. We're going to take a pause here and jump over to the mystery section at the end of the show. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3... You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. And we've been talking lots of fun murder mysteries this year, lots of comedy murder mysteries. And I'm so delighted to be joined in studio by perhaps who I thought was the least likely candidate to be joining that rank until all of a sudden he published Kill Your Husbands. It's Jack Heath. Jack, welcome to Death
3: of the Reader. It's wonderful to have you. It is amazing to finally be here in the studio where the magic happens. Oh my
0: goodness, I know. I love that we bring Elsie and Kiara back from Kill Your Brother. I should have seen it coming. I really should have seen it coming when the books shared the the same name, but I opened the first page and I was like... (laughs) hang on, I know these names. Where do I know these names from? He didn't. No, he didn't. No, did he? Did he? He put he put his horror novel characters
3: into a fun, whimsical murder mystery with lots of gruesomeness in it. He couldn't. Why'd you do it? Oh, it could have been even worse, actually, because, oh, gee, that's a bad start to be pitching the book to your <laughs> listeners, isn't it? Look, my book could have been worse, all right. (laughs) But I definitely, I had the plot with the three couples at the remote house with the no phone reception and the partner swap where when the lights come back on, one guy is dead. And then I'm like, okay, is this going to be a Timothy Blake case or not? And when I decided not... Um, in part because the response to kill your brother had been so warm. I was like, okay, well, I can reuse the the same cop from that. I already had a town and also I had um, my detective, but also... Because Kiara, um, Kiara Louie, the detective from Kill Your Brother and now Kill Your Husbands, I treat Kill Your Husbands as a standalone, but yeah, yeah, so she was in the previous book and she's a much more realistic sort of detective than Timothy Blake, cannibal FBI agent slash, oh, sorry, FBI consultant slash CIA agent. So- The police work she does is much more plausible and authentic. And, of course, plausible and authentic police work isn't as exciting to read as you might think. So it actually worked perfectly because Kiara, I don't know if you'd call her the main character of this, she probably gets marginally more screen time than anyone else. But the point is the bulk of the book is what happened two weeks previously with these three couples up on the hill. And if it was Timothy Blake, the reader would have been like, he's hardly in it. He doesn't get to do any of his... Um, uh, you know, a pa- pallet based detective. Work. Yes. Whereas Kiara, yeah, she does what an actual police officer would do. She talks to witnesses. She compares their statements. She complains about how terrible the forensic pathologist is yes. and all that stuff. Which was
0: fantastic, by the way. I absolutely loved just that. All of those scenes of leading up to like, okay, well, the forensic pathologist is incompetent. What's he screwed up? What's he screwed up? You'll have to wait and see. I have to wait and see.
3: <laughs> you are clearly a very different kind of reader to me, mate. I am I was having a chat with Benjamin Stevenson yes. um, the other week, uh, author of the wonderful, wonderful new book, um, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Yes. And he was talking about how he's kind of daring and double daring the reader to sort of second guess him. And so he's encouraging almost uh, – obliging the reader to play along with the detective, that's not the kind of reader that I am. I am someone who just lets the story wash over me and lets myself enjoy and be surprised by the twists. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to hear that it sounds like this this book I've written, Kill Your Husbands, is working for you, even though you are the second-guess-the-author yes. type of reader. So Benjamin
0: Stevenson will never admit it, but I'm still convinced that Ernest Cunningham is partially based off me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> that might be a story you have to talk about off
0: mic. I have to, have to hear about this. Um, yeah, I guess the other interesting thing, bringing Kiara and Elise back, is that we now have a second cast of characters whose uh, drama dredges back to their athletics days
3: was that an intentional choice or did is there just yeah. gremlins about the athletics world churning at the back of your head <laughs> that really played well into kind of Elisa's personality in that first book but in this second one i already had a thing where i'm like okay there's going to be a partner swap the lights are going to go out but the thing is you can still kind of tell who people are in the dark from their voices, okay? I won't allow them to speak. And then I'm like, well, you can tell from kind of the smell of your partner, okay, they're all going to wear the same perfume and, well, they can all have different haircuts. And then I got to kind of like body shape and I went, okay, if they were all on the same athletics team, then they all could have the same kind of build Uh plausibly. uh And then I went, how... The heck am I going to make the reader believe that Kiara would take her girlfriend to a crime scene on a romantic holiday. And then I was like, oh, well, if she thinks she needs Elise's insight because Elise was in elite sport, these people were in elite sport. It was just a kind of nice- It's problem solving. Yeah, yeah. I always start with these outrageous plot twists, and then I work really, really hard to make them convincing. Yes. Unless I'm writing children's fiction, in which case I don't bother. Because kids, <laughs> kids don't care if something's plausible, they only care if it's awesome. Um, but adults you know, we'll throw a book across the room because they go, that would never happen in real life. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's really fun because especially speaking of things that the
0: readers know, one of the most engaging puzzles to me in this book is the questions of what pressure Elise is under. There's a real sense, I think, that the way you perceive that puzzle is very much going to be down to personal context. Like you could look at it in the first scene that she is on a mysterious phone, call it an ATM and go, "Ah, yeah, I see what's going on here. Or it could be in the epilogue that you find out. And I I love that there's that sort of puzzle as the B plot there. Yeah.
3: This book gets pretty dark yes. along the way, which A won't Jack Heath surprise book? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that won't surprise any of my long-term readers. But it's supposed to be fun dark, yes. not, you know, miserable dark. So, let me scroll back. In 2013, that was where this the genesis of this book was. Like 50 Shades of Grey was at the top of the charts and I was like, "How do I get some of that action?" <laughs> and so so I started kind of plotting out a romance novel about a partner swap and I never got it working until I, until a couple of years ago when I was like, but if they all killed each other <laughs> and then I got the tingles that would show that this was, you know, that was the kind of book I would want to read. But I didn't want to leave the reader with a, a sense of, you know, well all relationships are doomed. Yes. Like, either you will die having not said the things that you wish you'd said, or you'll get divorced, or one of you will murder the other one, or something like that. Well, yeah. I,
0: and, like, yeah. All, all other things aside about the actual content of the writing for Elise and Kiara, anyone who's read Kill Your Brother will be
3: like, well, you know, this is an improvement. No matter what happens, this is an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That book I might have gone a little bit far, which is weird. I was trying to be more palatable to the mainstream. I said to my publisher, I'm like, okay, how do I reach like the next rung of the author career ladder? How do I get to like Chris Hammer levels? And she's like, you could write something with no cannibals in it because there's a lot of readers for whom that's a hard nope. And I'm (laughs) like, okay, I'll write a, cheery feel good novel about a woman who's trapped in an underground septic tank with her brother who may be a pedophile and then so no matter what i try to write this is always what comes out I've, i'm just gonna these have are to the careers writing
0: children's fiction in case you've forgotten
3: <laughs> i think that's why the adult stuff is so dark yeah. like the every bad thought i ever have needs to get sort of filtered out yeah of the, um it's a bit like the children's fiction is the um is the the gold and the adult fiction is the scum that gets like sifted out when Mm -hmm. you're panning for the gold well yeah And i
0: mean speaking of these other character relationships one of the things that i absolutely loved in the introduction of this book is when we slowly get each of the perspective chapters from the couples that are up the mountain Mm. and all of them have this same just delicious pacing where you go through their motivation, you set them all up as sympathetic and then within the space of a chapter, pull a rug out from under them and make them feel hollow in a way that almost separates you from the crimes that
3: happen to them? Oh, thank you. I think it's, again, I want my books to be fun. That's my main goal. So as far as if I knew that something for the plot to work something terrible had to happen to the character I was like okay so they have to be a bit unlikable so as the reader can enjoy their horrible death yes but readers also don't enjoy reading about someone who's entirely unsympathetic either you get kind of the feel of an unreliable narrator. But in this case, I wanted to push that a little bit further and go, okay, what if the killer was the narrator and the reader knew that from the beginning, but they didn't know which one? Yeah. So we got all these perspectives, but that seemed like a cool idea. It wasn't until I started writing it that I realized, hang on, that means none of the characters can ever wonder who the killer is. So I was like, okay, so what are they going to be thinking about? And that kind of led to their personal lives taking a front seat. That explains the
0: single piece of discomfort I had about that book that I I, I couldn't explain to you until just this second. <laughs> yep. And oh, I love that. That's actually incredibly... Clever. I love that. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Jack Heath, massive thank you for joining us here on the show. It's been wonderful reading this book, and I can't wait to get to the end of it. It's not often I don't get the chance to finish a book before one of these, and I'm very
3: excited. Oh, do let me know what you think. I can't wait to hear.
0: Jack Heath there talking about his latest novel, Kill Your Husbands. Big thank you to Danuka McKenzie, Benjamin Stevenson, and Alan and Unwin for helping put that interview together i've since finished the book by the way absolutely love the ending huge recommendation i hope we actually get to cover it on the show next year it's going to be a hoot we're going to jump back in to everyone on this train as a suspect you're listening to death of the reader on two ser 107.3 you're listening to death of the reader flex and herds here for your murder mystery world tour with kate evans ABC Radio Nationals, The Bookshelf. We are talking Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Chapters 12 to 27, and it's time to throw down some theories. One of the things that I think is most exciting about this stretch of chapters is that we sort of have our dive to the past through the lens of a fan in a book that is so much about fair play and telling you exactly on the nose what happens, looking back into the past through the eyes of a fan who has been carrying the book misery around this entire story, (laughs) at least until it got vomited on by the first victim as he died, there is sort of the acknowledgement that history is going to be distorted that way. And I thought that was such an interesting contrast to the core structure of metatext in this.
1: Well, and it's a lovely way to add something else into the story. So Brooke is quite a young woman and she's carrying around this scrapbook full of significant items. And it allows us to get into a different story and things that happened in 2003, which is obviously before this young woman's time. So... That also raises questions of, you know, is she just an obsessed fan and she's tracked these things down, what else is going on? But again, this goes to the Scottish writer Henry McTavish and a particular photo. Now, I do like photos as clues and there is a photo and the caption reads, best selling crime author Henry McTavish and he is catching up with up-and-coming debut novelist Lisa Fulton who we have met here, she's on the train, and SF majors. So they're all together. That immediately changes things, doesn't
0: it? Mm-hmm. I think one of the really interesting things about that picture too is that Ern notes that they are all smiling effortlessly. At some point, after that photo was taken, there was a great schism between the three. And the sort of presumption that we make based on the fact that we know about the rough chronology of things, that that schism happened probably right after this photo was taken. And
1: there's body contact, there's beer, there's alcohol, there's... Two women with a sleazy guy. But there's other bits of history, though, that is important, and that's Douglas the Texan. Yes. We know that he's there because he is mourning his partner. Mm. You know, that was very nicely done. Mm. He had died in a car accident in Central Australia. Yes. And so, again, there are stories that are coming up about a bus, about children, about parents, about a mystery, about something that happened 30 years ago, and this is the point where all of that starts to come together. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, we do start to get the sense that all of these past events, we have a set of events that happened 30 years ago and a set of events that happened 20 years ago. And it's all starting to sort of become clear that they're all lined up. Like we get the acknowledgement that what Aaron, the guy from the Garn, the train, was talking about with some terrible incident where when it was still serving as freight in R 109. Ran over a vehicle and it was a, a big drama, and that ties into what we find out about Douglas and his past. So, the question is sort of laid to us as the audience well, if this is where all of these pieces line up, what order do they happen in? What are the links? How is everyone actually involved? Like, Douglas is pretty clear, but he's sort of meant to be the clue that other people are involved as well.
2: Because Douglas hangs up his metaphorical and physical gun by throwing it in the trash. So it seems unlikely that he is the direct cause of Maccavish's
1: murder, especially since it's he doesn't get shot. Perhaps it is a bit of a misdirection, because there are other things that happened in the past involving other characters and involving book reviews that which of course go deep to the heart of, of writers <laughs> that, that also have resonances.
0: Well, yeah. One of the clues that you alluded to last week, Herds, is that McTavish gives everyone a Goodreads review Sure, he does. Um, at the start of the story and everyone's motive is in some way linked to how they feel about that Goodreads review.
1: And poor old Ernest only got a one star. <sighs>
2: rip, Rip Ernest. I was going to draw attention to this timing idea, trying to get all the events to line up and the reviews and how they all kind of come together. I was thinking about how Hutch, our our detective character, who arrives far late onto the scene to really do anything useful except for arrest Juliet, which is what he does. He's awful. He tries to turn the mystery of Wyatt's death into a timing puzzle because of the scarf. Alan accuses Wyatt of being the killer, and then immediately after, Wyatt is found dead. So he's not the killer, and Alan is a fool. But... Hutch, this detective, comes on the train and says, well, we found Juliet's scarf in the cabin with Wyatt, where he was found dead. And so clearly, Juliet has done the murder. And Ern tries to explain, you know, this this isn't her scarf. This is Simone's scarf. He tries to like lay out all the specifics of what happened because Hutch wasn't on the train. I guess I think it's interesting that I don't think about this murder as a timing puzzle, right? That is a deliberate piece of misdirection for the police in the story to deal with and to be rendered useless by. But there is a timing puzzle in terms of the events that happened way back in the past, which I like because I uh, notoriously despise train timetable puzzles. (laughs) They can go into a trash can with Douglas's gun, but it still manages to get you to think about, well, if this event happened in 30 years ago and this at 20 years ago and this at five years ago, How can we connect the cause and effect relationship between these events without getting mixed up in the specifics of the time, which I I really like. But
1: the other thing to think about is the relationship of the characters, of course. And so we've mentioned the death of Wyatt, Mm -hmm. but not who he is and so he's a publisher and these are writers and so his role I mean it's no accident obviously that he is murdered and so we have to think about why that's happened and why it is that a publisher might be the focus of somebody's ire.
0: I think the other thing that's really cool about it that we do get clued into very early on is that Wyatt is the publisher of all of the sleaziest most insufferable men in the story. (laughs) Yes, we get so much of his characterization done through the types of people he associates with.
2: Are we maybe saying there's some kind of theme where these sleazy men characters start to rub off on and dare I say influence each other to make them sleazeballs and there's some kind of Toxic culture going on—is that what we're saying?
0: You might be making a bit of a stretch there, Herds. <laughs> I don't—I don't
2: know that I am, but you're right. Though it is interesting because, yeah, Alan and I mean, supposedly Wyatt try to try to pull Earn into this subculture. Yeah, and I wonder if there is an alternate story where he does get involved, so yeah. to speak. Well
0: And the other fun thing is we've been talking a bit since Kate said last episode that the explicitness of the narration pointing clues out to you was a bit insufferable. And one of the things that I really liked is that we spend so much time talking in the narration about the scarf when the murder is done with a Gemini pen. And so many characters have had one of those pens through the story that when it actually lands up in someone's neck, you're so distracted in planning by Stevenson by the scarf that who might've had that pen to commit the crime is sort of, Left to the wayside on purpose,
1: and Jim and I being the name of the publisher. you are here, Kate? Or we wouldn't know what we were talking about
2: <laughs> half the time. Honestly, when I first when I read the book the first time, I thought, "What was even the point of the scarf?" I didn't use it in any of my reasonings, but it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of that subculture kind of moving and you know, the lens of suspicion moving through the characters. You know? I
0: suppose the last thing to touch on is we we need to pick we need to pick a culprit and I guess a, a, a motive for this episode, Kate. Do you have? a pitch.
1: Well, I think it's obviously not Juliet. Mm -hmm. That was, I just panicked. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. How about I'll say SF Majors, Mm. because she is the person who has invited everybody on to the train. She's a writer. So she has a stake in the whole publishing industry and in whatever skullduggery has gone on there. She's in those photos from 30 years ago. Mm. So there's probably both recent and deep Reasons for it as well. We have that scene
0: during the first panel where they Lisa and SF Majors kind of get spiky,
2: spiky with each other because one won't back the other up. I mean, SF Majors is is kind of interesting as we've we've mentioned. She is the psychological suspense and/or thriller writer, but she she creates a psychological profile of almost all of the writers on the train. She doesn't give one for Lisa which is important, I'm sure, but she basically tries to analyse all the other writers and say, you know, this is what your greatest failings are.
1: It's also, it's insufferable. What of a terrible thing to do. Yeah,
2: she's she's pointing out her own flaw by psychoanalyzing everybody else, which is mwah, perfect.
0: I wonder if that says anything about any of the other characters I don't know story. what you're
2: talking about. They're all, I'm sure they're all perfect. Anyway, I love that you picked SF Majors. Well, in that
0: case, I think we should wrap this discussion here for this week <laughs> and we'll be back next week, all the way to the end of Everyone on Woo! This Train is a suspect by Benjamin Stevenson. Let's go. Hope to see you then. Thanks for joining us on your Murder Mystery World Tour. You're listening to 2SER
2: 107.3. Choo-choo.